The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 24. And our subject again today is the end times. And in Matthew 24, Jesus was just a couple of days away from the cross. And as he prepared for his betrayal and arrest, he took some time to answer the disciples' questions about the coming kingdom. If Jesus was the Messiah, then there must be a kingdom because that's what the whole idea of a Messiah is about. Uh, The Jews had been reading for more than a thousand years about a kingdom that would come to Israel. The Messiah would come, and he promised that a kingdom would come with him, and that Messiah must be a savior, he must be a deliverer, who will be capable of restoring the kingdom to Israel. Now you can imagine the confusion of the disciples if the Messiah should come and then be crucified. That doesn't really fit into their ideas of what the Messiah would do. The kingdom is supposed to be an everlasting kingdom, and you can't have an everlasting kingdom without an everlasting king. And so how is it then that Jesus could be put on the cross? Because if the Messiah comes, that means that the kingdom can't come. Well, the problem in this text is the misunderstanding of the end times. It's the ignorance of the apostles concerning the church age that was about to come and then also this myopic view that they had of a soon coming kingdom rather than one that comes with the second advent of the messiah now the disciples questions were prompted by jesus statements to the pharisees in chapter 23 and he told them there he told the pharisees that the house of Israel would be destroyed, that it would be desolate. And by that, he meant the temple. He meant the city of Jerusalem. And he also meant, in fact, that whole Jewish system was going to be torn down. And that was because these leaders and the Jewish people in general had filled up the wrath of God, the cup of the wrath of God. And that cup was about to be poured out on them. And then in the first part of chapter 24, Jesus told the disciples that to consider the temple. They're standing there looking at it from the vantage point of the Mount of Olives, and they're looking at it, and he says, consider this, that there's not one stone that's going to be left standing upon another. And so that prompted the questions in verse number three, in which they said, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And those are questions that are still being asked today. People want to know, are there signs for the coming of the end of the world? Well, let's take a look at the text once again, and let's see how Jesus answers these questions. If you look at Matthew 24, verse number 4, and I'll ask you to stand once again as we read God's Word. Matthew 24, verse number 4, and this actually is the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. simply means that Jesus preached a sermon from the Mount of Olives, and this is what he said. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Father, thank you for your word. Bless us today as we study this portion of scripture. Help us to have understanding In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now you can see that we're well into a continuous study of this particular portion of Scripture. I think uh, it is sermon number four today. And what we've discussed thus far, the first part of the study was about the importance of it. What is the importance of studying these passages that speak of the second coming of Christ? And I might say, first of all, that most people don't really understand the scope of the second coming. There are most people who believe that the rapture, when you talk about Jesus coming to take his church out of the world, coming to take Christians, that that is the second coming. When in fact, the scriptures show us that that part of it, the rapture, is just a very small part of the second coming of Christ. Now, that, the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar, but the rapture is just a very small portion of the events because the rapture will kick off another series of events that will bring us to the time of Christ's kingdom upon the earth. And so when the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ, it's not actually talking about that one little piece of it called the rapture, but the second coming has to do with the coming of the kingdom of Christ upon the earth. And so when the disciples asked these questions, what they had in mind was not the rapture, but Jesus, when will you bring the kingdom to the earth? And that's the subject of Matthew 24. It's not about Christians that are waiting for the rapture. It's not talking here about looking for signs of the rapture. But this is actually Jews. This is addressed to the Jews who are waiting for the coming of the kingdom of Christ. And that will fulfill the Old Testament promise that God gave to Israel. Now, it's important for us to study this so that we won't be deceived into thinking that there are certain signs that we are to look for that indicate that the rapture is coming. Again, this is not about the rapture. It's about the coming kingdom of Christ. Our next area of discussion was the impression of the disciples. The disciples had their own interpretations of the end times, and they had received that or called that from the study of the Old Testament scriptures and also from their rabbis. And interestingly, uh, their version of the end times also included a terrible time of tribulation that would come upon the world. One of their ancient rabbis said this. He said, seven years of trouble come before Messiah comes. The first year before the son of David comes, the prophecy of Amos, chapter 4, verse 7, will be fulfilled. In the second year of tribulation, there will be six months of famine. In the third year, there will be great famine. 
Many men, women, and children will die, and the pious will be few. The law and the prophets will be forgotten by Israel. The last years will bring signs in heaven and wars. And at the end of the seventh year, the son of David will come. Now, in our text, Jesus also speaks of a time of tribulation. But the difference between what the rabbis said, the ancient rabbis, and what Jesus says is the timing of this. They thought that the coming of the Messiah and the tribulation were tied together in the first advent, and so they expected that the Messiah would come, tribulation would come, and then immediately there would be a kingdom of God upon the earth. So all the troubles of the tribulation would come, and then the Messiah would be ready to begin his kingdom. And what they didn't have a view of was that the Messiah would come, and then he would go away, and then he would come again. And so when Jesus taught the disciples that the temple was going to be destroyed, in their minds, they're thinking like this. This is it. This is the time of the tribulation. So that means the next move has to be the kingdom of God. And so they ask in verse number 3, when will this happen? And they thought that there was just a short time that separated them from the promise that Jesus had given specifically to them that said they would sit on thrones judging the nations or the, or the tribes of Israel, rather. So they were looking for a very soon kingdom. Well, what Jesus does in these verses is to correct that false assumption. Now, thirdly, then, we looked at the instructions of Jesus. Uh, we see that there is a problem here. In less than 50 years, the temple would be torn down, Jerusalem would be destroyed, and thousands upon thousands of the Jewish people would be killed. And Jesus gave them these instructions so they wouldn't be mistaken to think that that was the sign that the kingdom was coming. Now, oddly enough, uh, this is the error that many people make in the interpretation of these verses. Uh, the very thing that Jesus wanted the disciples to avoid is the thing that many people believe today. They think that what Jesus was talking about was destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and they tie all of these things to the coming of the kingdom then, and they say that there was something very special happened at that time, and so that's really the fulfillment of what happens here in Matthew chapter 24. But Jesus is not speaking of those times. And Jesus is not speaking of anything that's happened between then and now. What Jesus is talking about is a future time that we've not seen. And Jesus is not talking about anything here that happens to the church. This is about Israel. It's about how Israel was to know that the kingdom was near. Now, in the last message, that's where we spent our time. I'm sorry that we have a long review, but I think that's necessary to keep everybody on track. So we saw this also that scattered throughout the text are clues. They're clues that tell us the timing of the text. And the main clue was the word sorrows. Sorrows that we find in verse number 8. And that's a word that actually means birth pains. When a mother is ready to deliver a baby, there are birth pains. And that's how you know the baby's coming. There are clues in the text here that correspond to birth pains. And these prove that Jesus could not have been talking about the time of the disciples. And he's not talking about our time, but he's talking about a future time. 
And so he didn't want them to think that the soon destruction of Jerusalem were these birth pains and that they were the sign of the establishment of the kingdom. And so what he did was to scatter clues throughout this text that show us otherwise. Now, I I don't have time to go back through the clues again today. Uh, If you haven't heard that and you want to know about the clues, then I would suggest you get a copy of last week's message because that's very important for the full understanding of this text. Well, the next thing that we talked about was the church and how the church is excluded from consideration. The passage is not about the church, and and it couldn't be about the church because what God promised was that he would preserve the church from his wrath during the tribulation. The church is going to be gone from the world before all of this happens. This is about the kingdom, and it was the kingdom that the disciples ask about. Well, we come then to the breakdown of these verses. Uh, Jesus speaks here words of caution. These are words of warning about what it will be like in the last day. So thirdly, we want to talk about the caution about troubled times. Now, as I said, Jesus speaks, doesn't speak of the church. The church is going to be gone from the world. And so if you are a believer... You don't need to really worry about the birth pains that we're going to talk about. You you don't need to concern yourselves as far as going through the troubling times that are found in Matthew 24. The question here is about the kingdom, and the message is for the Jews, and they uh, these are the Jews that are going to be alive at that time. Now, the truth, though, is that you could be involved in these troubling times, if Jesus was to come today, or if he comes during your lifetime, and you are not a believer in him. You could be involved in this, if he comes and you have not yet believed in him. But if you are a believer, you'll have a much different vantage point of all of these things, because you won't be on the earth to witness them. Well, after the rapture, and again, the rapture is not spoken of in these verses, there is a remnant of Israel... Now, as we know, Israel is apart from God today. Israel has rejected God. But there will be a remnant of Israel in those last times that are going to be saved. And those Jews that will be saved in that time will go through the worst conditions that the world has ever seen. And that time is called the tribulation. Now, the disciples knew about it. They'd read about it. Uh, They knew that it was associated with the coming of Messiah and of the kingdom. But they just didn't know when it would be. And so here Jesus describes what these things are going to be like. Now, to get you ready for the study, what I'd like you to do is take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 6. And I want you to keep your finger in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to use all your fingers and toes today. So keep your finger in one passage and in the other. We're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 6 and also compare that to Matthew chapter 24. Now, if you found Revelation chapter 6, just hold on to that and go back to your other finger now. And that's in Matthew uh, 24. We're going to look at verse number 5. Matthew 24, verse number 5. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, the time of tribulation will be characterized, first of all, by false saviors. When you read how terrible that these times will be, 
And when you see all the conflicts that take place in that time, when you see the wars, when you see the economic collapse, when you see all of these things happen, then you'll begin to understand why that people in those days begin to look for help. They're very desperate. And they're looking for a way out of things, any way that they can get out of it. And if there comes someone who can show them the way out of these troubling times and can help them, then that's the person they're going to follow. The depressed, physical, and spiritual climate of that time will leave people without hope. And they'll want someone to bring them hope. They'll want someone to bring them change, hope and change. And that sounds eerily like today's political climate. But what we ought not to do is to confuse what's happening now with what happens then. Now, you very well know that over the past six years, nobody has brought hope, and there certainly hasn't been much change, at least not for the better. But in those days, things are going to be much worse, unbearably worse. And so if there's a person that comes that can promise hope, who can promise peace and can bring prosperity, then that person, you can be sure, will gain a following. Now that hope and that change and the peace and the prosperity are the very things that Jesus promised when his kingdom comes. I mean, the Old Testament is full of references to that, the peace and the hope and prosperity that comes with the kingdom of God. Isaiah 61 verse 4 just very briefly says, the desolation of my generation will be repaired. And if you read on down from there in verses 6 through 12 in that passage, that you can understand why that when someone comes and claims to be the Christ, that people will rush to follow that person. Well, let me let let me have you notice something in Revelation 6. If you'll turn over there now, in Revelation 6 verses 1 and 2, here it says, the Apostle John writes this, he says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, that means four, actually four living creatures, one of the four living creatures say, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth to conquer, conquering and to conquer. Now, Revelation chapter 6 is also about the end times. It's also about the tribulation that comes to the earth. And the lamb, the lamb here in the passage is talking about Jesus Christ. And the lamb is going to open up a book. And this book that he opens is the title deed to the earth. Now, it's actually a scroll. And that's because ancient books were, were not hardbacks with pages like we have today. But their books were scrolls. And this scroll is sealed with seven seals. And when each of those seals is broken open, one of the steps in the plan of Christ to redeem the earth and to prepare it for the kingdom is revealed. That's what happens when each of the seals is broken. Now the seals that we see here in Revelation 6 correspond to the birth pains that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. Now beginning in that fifth verse... Jesus said that there will come false Christ. And we notice here in Revelation chapter 6 that when he opens that very first seal, what do we see but a false Christ? There is a rider on a white horse and he comes with a bow and he comes to conquer. Now hold that place in chapter 6 and turn over to Revelation chapter 19. Pick another finger there and go to Revelation 19 and let's look at verse number 11. Revelation 19, verse number 11. 
And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. I'm not going to read all of that, so I want you to turn, uh, just go down to verse number 16. Here we find the identity of the one who rides on the white horse. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so the rider on this white horse in chapter 19 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now you go back to chapter 6. And there you see that there is a rider on a white horse. But the rider there is not Jesus Christ. That rider is a false Christ. He is an imposter and he rides on this horse because that's what a false Christ does. He imitates the real Christ. And so this rider comes to conquer. He has a horse, a white horse, and he has a bow. But you notice there aren't any arrows. And that means that he doesn't come with weapons of war. And he doesn't come to conquer people by killing them, at least not yet. But he fools people. He comes to conquer the world with peace. He appears to be very peaceful and he conquers with promises. And so what he does, he promises to make things better. And for a time, he helps. For a time, he looks like a person that people can trust. I mean, it appears that he can repair that desolation that we just read about in Isaiah chapter 64. He looks like the person who can fix things. Uh, All of these calamities that have happened that we read about in the text, it looks like he can fix those. But all the promises that he makes are hollow. He's a pretender. And so he'll fool many, and especially he'll fool many of the Jews, and they will begin to follow him. Now, the problem for Israel is that this man is a tool of Satan. It's really his intent to destroy Israel and to stop the kingdom from coming to them. This man is Satan's puppet. And when people look for Christ, this imposter will make himself to be the true Christ. Now, that's what Jesus is warning about in Matthew 24. This man is an antichrist. Now, take note of this, that an antichrist is not an atheist. An antichrist is not an agnostic. An antichrist knows full well the power of God. And he seeks to mimic that power. And the antichrist is able to do that with the help of Satan. So he opposes Christ and he is a pretender. And people believe that he is the real Christ. Now, this is what the Antichrist is going to do in the last days. Uh, he, he'll, we're going to look at him and his character and his activities a little bit later. When we get to verse number 15, we'll talk more about him and how the scriptures describe what he, what he does, how he looks good, but he actually turns out to be the worst evil that's ever been unleashed upon the world. Now, Jesus then continues to warn the Jewish people about false Christ. And the message to the Jews is this, don't be fooled by the false Christ. That that the appearance of the false Christ, and especially this one, is a birth pain. And it indicates that it's not going to be long until the real Christ comes and begins his kingdom. Now, if you'll look at Matthew 24, going back there, Matthew 24 and uh, verses 6 and 7, It says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. 
For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. Now, when the end approaches, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Now, flip back to Revelation 6. And now we look at verse number 3. Revelation 6, 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sore. Now, what then is the next birth pain? Well, number two is global conflicts. Global conflicts. Now, in Revelation, we see there's another seal that's opened. There is another rider on a horse, and this time the horse is red. And red may very well stand for blood. And the time of tribulation will be a time of very bloody conflicts. Now, the Scripture says there will be wars and rumors of wars. And in the actual original language, it means that this is a continuous thing, that people are continually hearing this. It's continually going on. Now, what will happen in that time is that Jerusalem will become the center of these conflicts. Now, Jesus is speaking to the Jews, and he's telling them that their capital city will be the center of worldwide conflict that armies from all over the world will converge upon a battlefield in the plains of Jezreel, in the valley of Megiddo, and they will fight. I know that all of you have heard of Armageddon. That's the big one. That's the big war. That's the global conflict that's coming. Now, Armageddon is not about asteroids hitting the earth. And it's not about blowing up the world. It's not about nuclear war between the U.S. and China and Russia. Armageddon is about Israel. It's about a global force that will come against Israel. Now, in Revelation chapter 14 and Revelation chapter 19, the battle is described, and it's a very bloody conflict. There's so much blood, there's actually a river of blood that flows for 200 miles And that river of blood splashes up on the bridles of the horses. Now, except for a brief period of peace that the Antichrist uses to fool people, the tribulation will be a time of war. And it culminates in this ultimate battle of Armageddon, a a battle like the world has never seen before. So what the rider on this uh, red horse does, he comes and he takes away that false peace of the Antichrist. Now, at first you might think, well, that means he opposes the Antichrist. He takes the peace away. But that's not true at all. This is the plan from the very beginning. It's the Antichrist's plan to suck people in. And when he draws Israel in, the peace will be shaken and it will be destroyed. And the result of that is global war. When World War I ended, people said, war is over. There's not going to be any more war. And there were many people who said... This is the time for the coming of Christ. It wasn't less than 20 years later that there was another global conflict. That was World War II. War is not over. Millions of people have been killed in all of these wars. But I can tell you this. The wars that this world has has seen are a walk in the park compared to what happens during the tribulation. Now, to give you a little bit of an idea of the scope of this conflict, I want you to look at Revelation chapter 9. 
And in Revelation 9, verses 13 and 16, it'll give you an idea of who is involved in this war and how massive that it's going to be. Revelation 9, verse number 13 says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, and saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And right quickly, those four angels are powerful demons. Verse 15, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, listen, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. And I heard the number of them. Now what that's talking about is an army of demons. And that's on top of all of the armies of the world. And there are 200 million of these demons that kill one-third of the world's population. Now the population of the world today is about 7 billion. One-third of that would be just a little bit over 2 billion. Can you imagine 2 billion people killed? I I don't think we can really imagine that at all. We, we can't even fathom two billion people killed in a war. And this is just one part of that global conflict. Now, if you want to know when the king of kings is going to come, when that's going to happen, it's when these birth pains happen. When the birth pains happen, then you know that the baby is about to be born. And this baby is going to be born in this way, that Christ will come with an army of his angels and of his saints. And that's when the carnage in Armageddon becomes totally disastrous. Now, what else does Jesus say about the last time? Well, next he speaks of great or global famines. In verse number 7 in Matthew 24, Jesus said there would be famines and there would be pestilences. There will be worldwide starvation. Pestilences are diseases and plagues and so on. And in Revelation chapter 6, also, there's another seal that's broken that tells us the very same thing. So back to Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now look at verses 7 and 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. So there are two more seals that are broken. And there comes a time when the extent of the daily ration of food will be a cup of wheat and a cup of barley. Now, we term that this way, barely enough to keep a bird alive. Crops will fail. Starvation will come. What you see in Ethiopia today, in the Sudan, in Bangladesh, that's not going to be abnormal. That will be the normal lot of the world. Droughts will come and burn up all of the crops. Other weather disasters like hail and tornadoes will destroy what's left. Now, all of those things... If you're interested, I explain in the Revelation series that we did a few years ago. So I can't, I'm not going to spend time with the details here. 
But Revelation says more. It talks about the third part of the trees being burned up. It talks about green grass being burned up. And so what happens then is the world becomes a wasteland as far as crops are concerned. Even the oceans that you would expect to find substitute supplies of food, even oceans are affected as the waters of the oceans are poisoned and the fish in the oceans die. So every source of food is affected. So people will die from that starvation. There'll be so many people with their bellies swelled up like all of those pictures you see of starving children. That will be a normal thing on the earth. And then with all of the dead bodies, so many people being killed, can you imagine the stench? Can you imagine what the smell will be like? And those corpses laying out there bring disease and there's plagues and... Just millions and millions more die because of that. So what you have in the tribulation time is death upon death. Death is the mantra of the tribulation. When you see that, Jesus said, it's a birth pain. The end is coming. But you'll notice that he says it's not yet. And he means there's still more to come. There are more things that are going to happen during that time. And what he says here, he tells them what to expect before the kingdom comes. Now, you and I, those of us that are Christians, we're not going to be here for that. But for Israel, this is a different story. Those who at first rejected the Messiah, they'll see these days. And there'll be days like no one has ever seen before. Now, fourthly, there will be global disasters. Global conflicts, global famines and now global disasters. Verse number 7 of Matthew 24 says there will be earthquakes in many places. I wish I had time uh, to take you through Revelation and show you the earthquakes. I mean, there are many, many earthquakes that are talked about in the Revelation. And the earthquakes that we've seen in the world today are nothing in comparison to that time. Again, there's going to be millions and billions that are killed by these earthquakes. I was thinking about this as I was studying for the message today. And I began to think about what's called the ring of fire. How many of you have heard of the ring of fire? Okay, most of you know what that is. There's a connection between volcanoes and seismic activity that runs from Northern California up through Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, Alaska, across the Aleutians, down to Japan and Indonesia. And there's this, there are these many, many different Uh, volcanoes and all this seismic activity that occurs along this ring of fire. Now, in California, of course, there is um, Mount Shasta and Mount Hood in Oregon. uh, Hood's in uh, Oregon, I believe. Uh, Also in Oregon, there's there's Crater Lake. And then Washington, there's Mount St. Helens. And all of that is a part of that ring of fire. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were up in northeastern California at the lava beds, and that whole area there sits upon a massive volcano. Now, God is going to set all of that up. Also, uh, in, in preparation, or he's going to set it all off, and, and in preparation for this, I, I watched a video from 1980 when Mount St. Helens erupted. And that was just a a massive force. And those of you that remember that time or have seen the videos of that, it is absolutely stunning. Well, what God is able to do 
is to take that ring of fire and set all of that off at one time. Earthquakes and volcanic, volcanic eruptions will be intensified. Hundreds of volcanoes like Mount St. Helens will blow their tops all at once. And you remember the pictures of the ash in the air and how the sun was blackened out during that time. Even in the latest volcano that you remember that, that they had to divert air traffic around the world because of the ash of volcanoes. Imagine all of these going off at one time. Now, another thing is that we've been told that someday the big one is coming to California. There's going to be an earthquake along the San Andreas Fault, and you wonder what that's going to be like when from one end to the other of that fault there's an earthquake. Now, the San Andreas Fault is 800 miles long, and when the big one comes to California, it's not going to fall off into the ocean. Uh, that's a myth. That can't actually happen. But there are... But there is, I should say, most of the population of California lives along the San Andreas Fault. And when that earthquake happens, there are millions of people that will be killed. Now, one of the things that scientists tell us is that the length of a fault actually determines the ma maximum size of the quake. The length of the fault determines the maximum size of the quake. Well, that may be true in the natural world, but God is supernatural. The Chilean earthquake of 1960 was a 9.5. That's the largest earthquake that's ever been recorded on earth. Now imagine with God who is supernatural, God has the power to shake the earth as hard as he wants. No one has seen a quake the size that God can send when his hand is on it. And then we know that an earthquake, that's not the end of the problem. You remember the tsunami in Japan and, and in Indonesia. I mean, when God upsets nature, the consequences have a domino effect. And so the world, the whole world is going to be traumatized in multitudes of ways when God interrupts usual occurrences. Now, Jesus says, this is coming. The world is going to be in the upheaval of natural disasters. And when that happens, that's a birth pain. That, that, that tells you that the baby's coming. Now, all of these things are written in Revelation. And what, what's going on in Matthew 24 is that Jesus is giving a synopsis of things that will happen during the tribulation. Now, I'm running out of time, and there's a lot for me still to say. Uh, when, when we studied Revelation, I did 156 sermons, and what I'm trying to do is condense all of that into five or six or ten. I don't know how many yet, but there's a lot to cover here, and, and uh, I, I feel like I'm shortchanging you on this. So we're going to come back to this, and we're going to come back to the 14th chapter or the 24th chapter, rather, and these first or these 14 verses, and or these verses 4 through 14, and I'm going to give you another sermon on this. Now, the very important thing for us to remember at this point is that Christ could come at any time. That we're not waiting for these signs that I've just told you about for Christ to come. As Christians, we're not to look for signs of his coming. Now, as I've discussed, this is not about signs for Christians today. These are signs for Israel, and this explains what happens immediately preceding the kingdom of God. So don't ever be confused by these prophecy nuts who read something in the paper 
or they see a tornado that's happened or a volcano that's erupted or a hurricane that's happened or a tsunami somewhere and they say, oh, this means that Jesus is coming. That's the very thing that we're supposed to avoid. Avoid For two millennia, people have been saying, uh, Jesus is coming and they're interpreting all these signs. Now, I hope, hope that Jesus does come today. But there's not a single thing that's happened in the past 2,000 years that indicate that his coming is tomorrow. Nor is there anything that indicates that his coming is in 730,000 tomorrows. And for those of you that are keeping count, that's another 2,000 years. There's nothing in Scripture that says there is a sign when Jesus is going to come. But I will tell you this. He can come at any time. And this is what Christians have always believed throughout the history of the church, that he can come at any time. And when he comes, then he'll set off the tribulation. As we read about this, we think, well, you know, seven years, that's, that's really not much time. The tribulation is going to be a period of seven years. And there's a lot of things the Bible says will take place, and that just doesn't seem like a very long time. I can assure you of this, that for those who live at that time, it'll seem like centuries. It'll seem like it's never going to end. Now, the message is for Israel, and this is what Israel wanted to know. Jesus, when will your kingdom begin? And this is his answer. There aren't any dates there's nothing, there is no dating here, but there are events that will tell us, or tell them rather, when the end will come. So, can you know the signs? No. You can't know the signs. This isn't about the rapture. This is about what precedes the millennium, when Christ brings his kingdom to the earth. Now again, I say this is for Israel. But you also have to remember this, that there is a world of Gentiles that are involved in this as well. And these are all people that have been left behind at the rapture of Christ. These are people that did not go up in the rapture. And they're going to go through all of these times. They're left behind. And I'm afraid, folks, there are more that will be left behind than those that are going up. And I hope that you're in the number that's going up rather than the ones who will be left behind. And I can tell you how you can know that you will be. The way that you can know is if you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. And I promise you, if you do that, you will go up. Either way, if you die before Christ comes or if you're alive when he comes you will go up. And that's determined by your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, one last comment for you. All of these things can change in a heartbeat. I mean, actually, they do. Everything changes in a heartbeat. Things change for you in a heartbeat. As I've said before, there's only one beat that separates you between life and death. So way, the way that you are to live, you are to live as if... You truly do believe and have it in your heart that Jesus could come at any moment. That you're going to be ready for him if he comes at any moment. But you also live that should you die right now, that you'll meet him. That you will see him. And again, the way that you do that is by faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And these are solemn things that we're talking about here, very difficult things for the world. I do pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior. These things are put into the Bible so that we would know the urgency of turning to you. We would see right here uh, in your word the plan that you have, and that is a plan from eternity. It's not going to change. These things will come to pass. There's no mitigation of this. There's nothing that can happen that can change what you've already said. We have to live with it or die with it. And, Lord, I do pray that everyone here knows you as Savior and that they're looking for your soon return. And should you not return before we die, then we know that we will be with you when we die. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Encourage someone through the work of the Holy Spirit to come to faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.